0: And if you will turn with me to Judges chapter 10 and find verse 17, hold your place there. Let me give you just a real quick recap of what we left off with before we broke for Christmas. Um, So earlier in chapter 10, the Ammonites had come in, and because God's people had sinned again, and so the Ammonites had come in, and they were threatening to conquer uh, God's people. And the people cried out to God for deliverance. And for the first time, we saw God initially refuse to deliver them. And God asked them, basically, well, he said, I, he kind of gave them a quick history. When this people, and this people, and this people, all these people time after time after time have oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you, and yet you continue to reject me, and so God said to them, so go cry out to the false gods that you worship, and let them deliver you, and then the people, uh, they begged of him to deliver them, they showed, they demonstrated some repentance by getting rid of the foreign gods that they had among them, and then God accepted that and couldn't handle their misery any longer. So that's kind of where we are as we pick up today in verse 17. If you're able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? We're going to be looking at Judges 10:17 through chapter 11, verse 11. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, Whoever will take the lead in attacking the Ammonites will be head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them, and he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Let's pray. Father, as we dive back into Judges and we look at this text today, um, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that we would um, gain an understanding um, of how to how to be like you in relationships as we look at this strained relationship between you and your people and between Jephthah and the people of Gilead Um, so that we will be able to always act and think um, and speak like Christ in all of our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right. First thing we're going to look at in your notes is, uh, point number one is loving like God. So we're going to be looking at this relationship and the things that we can learn as we deal with relationships in our own life. Um as we walk through the story and and the account of the judges here. Um, Jephthah is the next judge that we're looking at. He later becomes the savior that God raises up to deliver Israel. Um, But like Jesus, there's there's a parallel here between Jephthah and Jesus. Jesus, who would one day deliver God's people from their greatest threat, which was sin. Jephthah, who is in this account, going to be the physical deliverer of of God's people, is also, like Jesus, despised and rejected by his own brothers. Jephthah's father was Gilead. He had sons with his wife, but Jephthah was his son with a prostitute. So consequently, his status was considered even lower than that of someone like Abimelech. We talked about Abimelech in chapter 9, who was the son of his father's concubine, but the son of a prostitute has an even lower status in the minds of the people. So even though he was a great warrior, we learn in 11.1, and even though he was their brother, and even though he was a person made in God's image, he was rejected by the other sons of his father. Just like Jesus was despised and rejected. When Isaiah prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, in Isaiah 53.3, and he's talking about Jesus. He says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. And Jephthah suffered the same from his brothers as well. And I think there's a lesson here about the value of every human life. Jephthah's family and the people of his town devalued him as if his value as a person was less than their own. And what's astounding here is that his family bases this on something that's completely out of Jephthah's control. He had no control over who his mother is, nor did he have any control over his father's action to engage with the prostitute. In fact. I think if his brothers are to be angry with anyone, they should be angry with their father for his sinful actions. Yet, they devalue Jephthah, the son, for something that he had no control over. And the lesson here about valuing every human life, I think, is something that we need to take note of in the church today. Because in the church today, we have to be cautious about what we target with our anger no matter how righteous our anger might be. If we look at Jesus as the example that we follow, Jesus targeted his righteous anger at the sinful actions of people, and in doing that, he addressed the heart issue that will bring about true repentance in those people. So we have to do the same. We have to target the sin without devaluing a person that God loves and desires from that person true repentance. I think it's something that I I say we need to be cautious about because we have a tendency, I think, in the church to target the person. And that's what happened with Jephthah. They targeted him rather than basing his value on who he is as a created person by God, in God's image, based on his own actions and his life. They, they based it on something that was out of his control. When God's people mistreat someone, and we see it all the time in the church, when God's people mistreat someone, that person can be in a vulnerable state, and they may find themselves gravitating away from the church who's harmed them emotionally and what often happens to those harmed by the church is they gravitate toward people who will show them kindness and acceptance and it doesn't matter if those people who show them kind kindness and acceptance are a good or a bad influence sometimes sometimes they being accepted and having kindness and love shown on them is the only thing that matters to them And so sometimes we, as in the church, if we're not cautious about how we address sin and and things like that, if we're not cautious about it and we target the person and devalue the person, sometimes we chase them away into the arms of those who are potentially a bad influence on them who may be dragging them away from Christ. Jephthah found himself with people who looked up to him and followed his lead. So they looked up they looked at him as a leader but the people who were loving him and showing kindness and valuing him were what the text calls scoundrels Um, other words that are translated in different versions of the bible um, other than scoundrels are worthless men um, vain men one one version i looked at translated it outlaws um, but it was these worthless men, these scoundrels that valued him. And he was devalued by his own family. But negative influence or not, God used this time in exile to prepare Jephthah to lead his people. Much like he did when David was isolated in the wilderness and God used that time to prepare him to be um, king to lead as king of his people so we need to understand something about how god works in our lives god does not allow things to interrupt our life without some kind of a purpose god does allow things to interrupt our life but he doesn't do that without some kind of purpose behind that he doesn't waste opportunities he doesn't waste situations in our life he uses every single situation that we find ourselves in to shape us and to mold us and to train us and equip us and prepare us for something else that he has for us to do or something else that we will go through or deal with in life. And all of those situations, the situations that shape us and mold us and train us, all of those things ultimately are designed by God to draw us closer to himself. So He's doing that with Jephthah, and I, I don't know, you may be going through something really difficult, or maybe you've gone through something, and you look back and you see what God has taught you. Um, or you may have something really difficult in your future that you're going to have to deal with. Um, so it may be a difficult situation. You may be wondering sometimes how God is actually doing something for our good. You may be expecting God to ease your path or lighten your load but god doesn't always do that because he's designed those things and he's using those things to develop your character to teach you about himself to reveal his glory to you and to make you ready for service for which he's going to call you and that's what he's doing here while jephthah is away in exile and like I said last week, so for, for those of you who are here, um, we were talking we were, as we were doing the prayer service, I mentioned um, a quote uh, from a friend of mine. Hard is not bad, hard is just hard. Those situations, as awful as they are, as suffering as we might be going through, Scripture defines those things not as bad. They might not be pleasant for us, but they're not, it's not a bad thing that God is doing in our life. It's actually something God is doing to shape us and to draw us closer to Himself and to develop a deeper intimacy with Him. So, hard is not bad, hard is just hard. So, that's loving like God. Point number two is seeing like God. Seeing like God. Um, As we have seen in Judges so far, there's a cyclical pattern I call the sin cycle. I think I have the, I brought this back up. This is from the first sermon in this series. This is the cycle that we see, a general cycle that we see through uh, Judges. Israel runs after foreign gods. And because of that, God allows them to be oppressed. And then because they're oppressed, they cry out to God for deliverance. And when they cry out, God raises up a judge to deliver them. And after they're delivered, then there's peace in the land for the lifetime of that judge. But then after that judge passes away, repeat the cycle. Um, So we've been talking about that. We've looked at that with every single situation so far throughout the book. But we've also... Discussed and learned that in every one of the situations of this cycle that we've gone through, there's also been an unexpected element that wasn't the same as before. So Ehud was left-handed, uh, probably because of a withered right hand, but he was left-handed. Um, he was not. He was not the military commander that uh, Othniel before him was. Um. During the leadership of Deborah, it was Jael, a woman, who put Sisera to death. Um, Gideon defeated 135,000 men with an army of only 300. So every one of the situations that we've gone through has been generally looked like this, but had some kind of an unexpected surprise in the details. And what is different about Jephthah's situation is that the text never says that God raised him up to deliver Israel, nor does it say that God called him through the words of a judge or a prophet or anything like we saw with Deborah when God called uh, Barak to lead the army, and Deborah was his mouthpiece to call him to that. So that's the unexpected part of this. The It was the elders who wanted Jephthah to return to Gilead to lead the people in the battle because Jephthah had made a name for himself as a mighty warrior. Again, verse uh, 1 of chapter 11. I want to pause this for a minute and ask where we've heard that before. Where have we heard that phrase mighty warrior before? I heard mumbling. I couldn't hear, I couldn't discern it though. Somebody said something and it sure sounded like Gideon. Am I right? Gideon, in chapter 6, is called Mighty Warrior. The angel comes to him and says, The Lord is with you, Mighty Warrior. We also talked over the Christmas season, when we did the sermon series on Isaiah 9-6, that the the title given to the Messiah, Mighty God, we talked about that word mighty and how that indicated a warrior. And so, Jephthah is is in good company here with Gideon with the coming Messiah he's called a mighty warrior it was the elders of Gilead who asked him to come and lead them but it was not a call from God that we can see in the text itself so that should make us wonder about this decision was it a decision that was directed by God's spirit or is it a situation like the people of Shechem flocking to Abimelech and um, remember abimelech went to the people of shechem and he had 70 brothers that were remember abimelech was the son of a concubine but um he had 70 brothers and he said to the people shechem is it better to have all 70 of them rule you or just me because i'm one of you and they flocked to him and we know from judges chapter 9 how that turned out they turned on each other and destroyed each other so is it a situation where god's spirit is guiding them Or are they running after somebody that God has not led them to run after? Because we've all had our fair share of situations in which we should have waited on the Lord. Should have done it God's way. But we felt a pressing need to take care of the problem ourselves. And I'm a classic example of this. I think I can fix my problems by my own wisdom and power. I think if I just talk to the right people... If I just gain their favor, I'll be able to achieve what I think needs to be done to fix the problem. And usually what happens when I do this is eh, the problem gets worse. But what I found is that God can fix problems and God can reconcile people and God can provide in ways that blow my mind if I just let him do it. An example of that. When we moved back here, we came out of a bad ministry situation. We became members of Bethany Community Church in Washington. The elders of the church knew the ministry situation that we'd come out of, and they also understood that I was still called the ministry. But we were kind of in a holding pattern, and I didn't know at the time why, but looking back, I know we needed to heal and I know we needed to grow. And so we were in the, God had placed us in this holding pattern pattern, and the elders knew, and they, their desire was to help me eventually get plugged back into ministry, but they wanted me to finish seminary first, and at that time, I was working third shift. I was getting a total of three hours of sleep a night. I didn't have the time or the ability to take classes. I couldn't even stay awake long enough to read my girls naptime nap time story. They would continually elbow me, daddy, because I'd fall asleep in the middle of a sentence. So I didn't have the time, the energy. I also didn't have the money to be able to do that. And my experience had been in all the churches I'd worked in that the church paid for part of my seminary work, and I paid for the rest of it. Um, And so I I I knew I didn't have the ability or the money to do it when my schedule finally did open up enough that I could handle some classes, the elders talked to me about getting back into seminary and finishing that, and they they explained to me that they would help me with some of the costs. And that was wonderful, and I appreciated that greatly. But I, I knew still that even if they paid for half of the tuition, I couldn't cover the rest of it. But God went to work. He moved me through the process of getting established as a student at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he moved the hearts and the minds of the elders to pay for everything. He paid for my classes, they paid for my books, they paid all the special fees for the online classes I took so I didn't have to drive down there all the time. God, in his great mercy and power, provided what my family and I needed beyond what I could have asked for or even imagined. It wasn't even in my mind that a church would cover the entire cost. So I'm a classic example of that, and I could give you example after example after example of how I try to fix problems myself, but also example after example after example of how when I allow God to do it, he blows me away with what he does so when you allow God to direct your path, there's nothing that will prevent him from accomplishing what is best for you. The problem is we have a tendency to fix, try to fix our problems and direct our own path on our own. And that's my question here. Is that what's going on in the text? Is that what's going on with the people of Gilead? Are they, are they being led by God's spirit or are they running a- ahead of God and... They're just flocking to somebody that they think looks good on the outside, maybe can do the job from the appearance on the outside, but may not be the guy that God is calling to lead them. Verses 9 to 11 tell us how involved God has been in the decision. So let's look at point number three, which is responding like God. Because remember, there's a strained relationship here. And even though the author of Judges does not write the actual words, the Lord raised up Jephthah, we see that God has been overseeing and guiding the whole process of choosing Jephthah to lead. He's been preparing him to lead. And we see how he's overseeing the elders and how the elders and Jephthah are committing this situation into his hands. In three verses, verses 9, 10, and 11, in three verses, God's involvement is mentioned three different times. In verse 9, if you look at your text, verse 9, Jephthah acknowledges that victory can only come if God allows it. It says, Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. So Jephthah understands. They can select him to be their leader and he can can go back and he can lead the army but the only way he's going to be victorious here is if God gives him victory in verse 10 the elders swear what they have promised before the Lord says the elders of Gilead replied the Lord is our witness we will certainly do as you say so they are giving testimony before the Lord that they will keep their word what they've promised to him. And in verse 11 then, Jephthah repeats his words before the Lord as a testimony. It says, and he repeated all the, his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So there, we, we're given three verses, one with each, one, each one has an example of how God has been a, a part of this decision making process. He's guided the people to the right person. This is the person he is raising up to lead them. Now, I told you earlier there's a parallel between Jephthah, who's going to deliver them physically, and Jesus, who is going to come and deliver them from sin. There's also a parallel in how Jephthah interacts with the people with how God interacts with the people. So this is going to take us back just a little bit into chapter 10 from what we covered before Christmas. But I wanna I wanna just draw this parallel because the interaction, the way God responds to them, is almost identical to the way Jephthah responds to them. There's this this really strong parallel. So the in both situations the people of Israel cry out for deliverance. In chapter ten, verse ten, Israel cries out to the Lord when the Ammonites pose a threat to them. They they've moved into the area and they're they're becoming a threat, and they cry out to the Lord in Judges 10.10. 10. And it's the same thing with the elders of Gilead when they go to Tob to try to find Jephthah, and they cry out to Jephthah to come and help them. and That's in our text, chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. So the Israelites cry out to each one of them, God and Jephthah. At first, God refused to rescue Israel because of their continuous rejection of him. That's Judges 10, 11 to 14. That's where God said, I've delivered you time after time from all these people, and yet you continue to reject me. Go Go ask the gods that you serve. See, go cry out to them to deliver you. And so God refuses at first. And Jephthah does the same thing. He rejects their request initially because they drove him from his home and his family. That's chapter 11 verse 7 he said why didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house why why do you come to me now that you're in trouble and so he he doesn't initially he doesn't accept their invitation and come to their rescue just like god didn't in chapter 10 the israelites then humbled themselves before the lord and they demonstrated their genuine repentance in chapter 10 verse 16 by getting rid of their foreign gods and so when God, God initially re, refused to rescue them, they cried out again, and they showed a genuineness of their repentance by getting rid of the idols that they had been worshiping. And they also, the people of Gilead, the elders of Gilead also humbled themselves before Jephthah when he said, "Why, why do you come to me now that you're in trouble?" They admit that they're wrong in in 11 chapter 11 verse 8 they say nevertheless we were wrong but we're turning to you now and so they humble themselves before him and and beg him to come back with them and finally in judges 10:16 when the people humbled themselves before the Lord and got rid of their foreign gods God chose chose to rescue them and in judges eleven eleven, when the people humble themselves before Jephthah he then becomes their deliverer and I think the lesson here is a follow-up lesson to the earlier point that we talked about in point number one about valuing people because people will sometimes devalue other people we're not immune to that the church does it often in our world today But the lesson at the end of our text here is that there should always be room for repentance. Those who initially rejected and devalued Jephthah eventually came to value him greatly. Now, we also see that what God did and what Jephthah did was first to test their hearts to see if their repentance was genuine god wasn't god wasn't saying there's no way he would ever come to their rescue he wasn't saying that that they blew it and they don't have a shot to come back to him and jephthah wasn't saying the same that that either But they did test their hearts to see if their repentance was genuine. Both of them questioned how genuine they were. They both required a demonstration to show their repentance to be real. And then, when that repentance was proven to be genuine, there was forgiveness extended. And we in the church need to understand that because we've been on both sides of this, right? We've been the offender and we've been the offended. We've been in need of repentance. We've needed to be willing to repent, and we've needed to be willing to forgive. And Paul instructs the church in Colossae. He says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's Colossians 3:13. But I want to look at with you at the context will you turn to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians 3, find verse 12. I want to look at the context of what Paul says here because it's sandwiched in between two really important verses of instruction that give us instruction on relationships and interacting with each other. So, Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then the verse I just read, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then verse 14 on the back end of this, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So here's, here's what we have, and I'll close with this. As we're dealing with loving like God, being able to see things the way God sees them, responding in relationships the way God responds, if we clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, and if we put on love over everything, so if we do verse 12 and verse 14, then we will value others. And if there is any offense against us, we will leave room for repentance. And we will demonstrate the kind of love and forgiveness that Christ has given to us. Let's pray. Father, as we as we interact with people i mean we are fallen people we're sinful people we've been saved by grace but that doesn't mean we it doesn't mean we're perfect it doesn't mean that we're always loving and kind and compassionate toward others so as we interact with people let us be people who value others Because if we put great value upon them, then we will be less likely to want to wrong them or harm them or treat them unkindly. They're people who you created and you long to have a relationship with and, and therefore we should value them because you value them. And if there is if there is some kind of breakdown in that relationship for whatever reason, like we see uh, between Jephthah and his people, his family, then we pray, God, that we would be people who uh, who, who would leave room for repentance and be willing to extend forgiveness. And if we're the ones who have wronged the other, then let us be people who are willing to humble ourselves and repent of what we've done. And we pray that the others would be gracious to us in leaving room for repentance and extending forgiveness. You are a God who longs for your people to be unified longs for us to be like you, to love like you, to see like you, and to respond the way you would as we interact with each other. I pray that if any of us has relationships that are broken down, that you would go to work at reconciling that. And in the future, as we move forward, let these things that we see from the life of Jephthah and the elders of Gilead, let those things ring in our head to help us prevent destruction of relationships. Father, we are thankful for your grace because your grace has allowed us to be reconciled to you. When we were your enemies, you sent your Son who died for us. In his name we pray.